True Crime Fix is a podcast with adult themes and graphic descriptions of crime which may not be considered suitable for all ages. Please use your discretion when listening. All research has been conducted using material in the public domain and some opinions may not be that of the author or the host. Please remember that all victims are someone's loved one and all episodes are recorded in the utmost respect of their memory. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the True Crime Fix podcast with Stevie B. Hi everyone. I hope that you enjoyed my first episode and I hope that if you're a new listener, you have subscribed so that you can get all of the new episodes automatically downloaded into your app. I am releasing these two episodes together as they are my two shortest stories but the subject matters are very closely linked. I wanted to tell this story as it is one that I remember very vividly from when I was a lot younger. Although I didn't appreciate this person's music at the time, it was a crime which really upset a number of my circle of friends. The older that I have got, I have really enjoyed this person's talents and realised what a great loss to the music industry this tragic day was. This is another story of how obsession has led to the murder of a familiar face. Warning, this episode does contain language that not all listeners will consider acceptable, but it is necessary for direct quotations. Ladies and gentlemen, This is your True Crime Fix. I am your host Steve, and this episode is written in the memory of the victims of the Al Rosa Villa massacre, but in particular the target, former Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl Abbott. Daryl Lance Abbott was born in Arlington, Texas on the 20th of August 1966. He was the son of Jerry and Carolyn Abbott. Jerry Abbott was a country and western songwriter and a producer. Born and raised in the Dallas area, Daryl Abbott was influenced by music at a very young age. Daryl and his brother Vincent, better known as Vinnie Paul, were encouraged to play music from an early age. Despite being surrounded by country music as a child, Daryl was drawn to such rock music influences as Tommy Iommi from Black Sabbath and Ace Frehley of Kiss, Eddie Van Halen from Van Halen and Randy Rhodes, who was Ozzy Osbourne's post-Black Sabbath guitarist. In his early teens, Daryl became serious about guitar playing and he entered in local guitar talent competitions which resulted in him winning the instrument that he would eventually become closely associated with, the Dean ML guitar, a cross between a flying V and an Explorer. By the early 1980s, Daryl, who was going by the name Diamond Daryl because of the flashy rock riffs he was playing, had co-formed the band Pantera along with his brother, drummer Vinnie Paul, and bassist Rex Smith, who was then known as Rex Rocker. 
Pantera, early on, reflected their influences at the time, sounding like a cross between Def Leppard and Judas Priest, while visually influenced by Motley Crue. With singer Terry Glaze fronting the band at the start, Pantera issued a trio of albums that, due to their future musical direction, the group would later disown. 1983's Metal Magic, 1984's Projects in the Jungle, and 1985's I Am the Night. Shortly after the latter album, Terry Glaze quit the band. When vocalist Philip Anselmo joined Pantera in 1987, the band redefined its sound and began playing a harder-edged style that some music critics dubbed power metal, but it took a while for the new lineup to click. Their first recording together was 1988's Power Metal. It was at this time that Daryl changed his nickname from Diamond to Dimebag, a move which better fit the band's image and due to Daryl's love of smoking marijuana. The term Dimebag refers to a $10 bag of weed. He reportedly auditioned for the band Megadeth in the late 1980s, but was turned down. Pantera signed with a subsidiary of Atlantic Records in 1990 and released the album Cowboys From Hell, which contained the singles Cowboys From Hell and Cemetery Gates. Two more albums soon followed, Vulgar Display of Power in 1992, which included the single Walk, which was released in 1993, which was considered by VH1 one of the top 20 metal songs of all time. Followed by, in 1994, Far Beyond Driven was released. Far Beyond Driven debuted at number one in the Billboard charts and marked the band's peak of commercial success. The single, I'm Broken, giving the band their first Grammy nomination. Pantera released two more albums and received four Grammy nominations over the course of the band's career. However, due to persistent feuding between Daryl Abbott and Philip Anselmo, Pantera broke up in 2003. Daryl lived in Arlington and had a recording studio in his home where several Pantera albums were recorded. During that same year that Pantera split up, Daryl and his brother Vinnie Paul formed the new band Damage Plan. With Daryl on guitar and Vinnie Paul on drums, the brothers recruited vocalist Patrick Lackman and bassist Bob Kakaha. Daryl produced the group's debut album, Newfound Power, which was released in February 2004. On the evening of December the 8th, 2004, at the Al Rosa Villa nightclub in Columbus, Ohio, which was coincidentally the 24th anniversary of the shooting of John Lennon, the genre of heavy metal music would have one of its most tragic nights. The Al Rosa Villa is a legendary nightclub that regularly features heavy metal and other rock bands. The Al Rosa Villa opened its doors in the 1970s and continues in operation to this day. A 
family-owned and operated establishment, the Al Rosa Villa was an outgrowth of the then popular nearby bar known as Pandora's Lounge, which operated from the 1960s through the 1970s. The Al Rosa is well known as a stop for bands looking for a more cosy atmosphere than that provided in a traditional rock concert. The capacity of the venue is 600. Four bands were on the bill at the Al Rosa Villa and about 250 people paying around $8 per ticket had shown up well short of the venue's capacity. Members of a local group, Volume Dealer, one of the opening acts dressed in combat fatigues, were the first on stage, whilst another local opener was named 12 Gauge. In the chilly darkness, 25-year-old Nathan Gale had been hanging out in the club's parking lot whilst the music pounded inside. A construction worker from Marysville, Ohio, a blue-collar suburb 25 miles northwest of Columbus, Gale stood at 6 feet 3 and weighed more than 250 pounds. He wore thick glasses and a Columbus Blue Jackets hockey jersey over a hooded sweatshirt. Hey man, why aren't you watching the show? A fan asked him. I don't want to see no shitty local bands, he said. You can at least go inside and stay warm. Nah man, Gale said. I'm going to wait for damage plan. Club manager Rick Cartella thought of Gale as a harmless hanger-on, one without a ticket. He was just a crazy fan trying to talk to members of the band, Cartella said. One of my guys, who helps to set up the bands, eventually told him to leave. Instead, as Damage Plan took to the stage, Gale jumped a six-foot-high fence and rushed into the club through the side door. Walking swiftly past pool tables, a bar and the sound booth, he reached the left side of the stage. Witnesses thought Gale, whose head was shaved, wanted to stage dive. The dude was way determined, said Billy Payne, the singer for Volume Dealer, who saw Gale enter the club. He was on a mission. He looked angry. He was walking like he was going into battle. At 10.22pm, and was about 90 seconds into the first song of the set, Damage Plan's new single, New Found Power, CCTV showed Gale storm across the stage. Because of the club's intimate setting, the first row of the audience was pushed right up against the front of the stage, unlike larger venues which have a security rail. On stage, Gale drew a Beretta 9mm handgun and headed straight for Darrell Abbott. Joe Dameron, bass player for Volume Dealer, thought Gale shouted something about Pantera, but he wasn't sure. With the feedback, I didn't hear what he said, Dameron said. I saw him open his mouth to yell something, but I don't know what it was. He just looked determined. Gale shot Dimebag Darrell, who was headbanging with his hair in his face, at least once in the forehead. Dime was doing his thing, said Errol Benner, a fan who was standing nearby. He gets really into it, so he was blindsided. 
Cotella, who was tending the bar, thought firecrackers had gone off. Others figured that the speakers had popped or somebody had fired a cap gun. I thought they were playing a big gimmick, said Ryan Melchior, who was working security. People were pumping their fists, thinking it was a hoax. Cotella kept pouring drinks. The music stopped and drummer Vinnie Abbott, Daryl's brother, stood up from behind his kit. Daryl's guitar began to emit feedback in a high-pitched shriek. A security guard tackled Gale, who continued to shoot into the crowd. One bullet grazed the arm of volume dealer's roadie, Travis Burnett, a burly former soldier who dropped his beer and ran towards the stage to try and disarm the shooter. I asked him, Dude, what the fuck are you doing? said Burnett. He was like, Get out of here, get away. As I went to grab him, he shot at me. The bullet went through my shirt and I didn't even feel it. Daryl Abbott lay on stage, bleeding from his head. While most fans fled, one concert-goer, Mindy Reese, a registered nurse from Columbus, rushed forward. I said, fuck this, I'm a nurse, said Reese. He needs help. I did chest compressions for about 15 to 20 minutes. I kept saying, Dimebag, come on, come on, please stay with me. Daryl was near death by the time that the paramedics arrived. The first officer on the scene after the initial 911 call was Officer James Niegermeyer. Seeing a tide of people rushing from the exits upon his arrival, he was directed to the back door. Grabbing his gun, a 12-gauge Remington shotgun, and not waiting for backup, he entered the Al Rosa Villa. Entering the venue from the backstage area, Officer Niegermeyer appeared on the stage area. He walked past a stack of amplifiers and saw Gale, who had taken a male hostage and was holding the man in a headlock. The man was John Brooks, a 30-year-old stage technician for the band, who was shot three times. Holding the gun to Mr Brooks' head, Gale began moving towards the rear of the club. Realising that this would be the only way to save the hostage, the officer fired a single shot from about 20 feet away, striking Gale in the face, killing him instantly. Investigators discovered later that Gale had 35 bullets left. The hostage survived. As police officers and detectives flooded the El Rosa Villa, on December the 8th, 2004, Vinnie Paul escaped into the damage plan tour bus. He climbed into Dimebag's bunk and wept. Damage plan loved us, lamented Billy Payne, the volume dealer lead singer. They told us to stay after the show. They were going to talk to us and have drinks with us. It was a local band's dream, maybe coming true, and it turned into a nightmare. Nathan Gale, according to the people in Marysville, was troubled but not prone to violence. He enlisted in the Marines in 2002 
but left the Corps for unknown reasons 18 months later. He held a number of jobs and worked on construction sites in an oil change shop, Minute Lube, and as a landscaper. Gale also played offensive guard for the Lima Thunder, a local semi-professional American football team. On the team bus, his teammates stated that Gale could often be found with his headphones on listening to Pantera. On November 17th, 2004, at 3.20am, the police had arrested Gale for driving with a suspended licence. By then, friends told Columbus Dispatch Gale had changed. He'd began talking and laughing to himself. He told a friend that Pantera had stolen his songs and that he was going to sue them. Lucas Bender, manager of Bear's Den Tattoo in Marysville, across the street from Gale's house, said Gale was a frequent visitor. He got a tattoo on his right or left forearm, a big custom-designed tribal, said Bender. He also got his ear pierced about a week or two prior. He came in on a daily basis. I tried to keep him away from the clientele. He kind of gave everyone a weird impression. Bender said Gale told him he'd left the Marines due to mental problems and was taking medication. The belief was that he may have been bipolar. Nathan was infatuated by guitarists, said Bender. One of our tattoo artists plays guitar and Nathan started trying to hang out with him. The motive for the shooting was later revealed that Gale was reportedly upset that Pantera had broken up in 2003 and blamed Dimebag Daryl Abbott for the band's acrimonious split. Unfortunately, Dimebag Daryl was not the only person to have lost their life on that night. The other victims were 23-year-old fan Nathan Bray, Damage Plan crew member Jeff Mayhem Thompson, who was 40, and a club employee, Erin A. Hulk, who was 29. Jeff Mayhem Thompson was Damage Plan's head of security. Thompson pursued Gale as he charged across the stage, pulling the shooter to the ground. Described by friends as a gentle giant, he was at least 6 foot 8 inches tall and weighed 300 plus pounds. Thompson took two bullets while struggling with Gale. Eerily, Thompson had always expressed affection for the band members and other friends by saying, I'd take a bullet for you. Erin Stony Hawk was an Alrosa Villa roadie and security staffer. Like Gale, Hawk was a former Marine, the type of kid who always went out of his way to help people, his brother Andy told the Columbus Dispatch. Reporters differ as to whether Hawk tried to help Thompson take down Gale or charged Gale as he was reloading. Nathan Bray was a Dimebag fan who was thrilled that he was going to get to see his idol up close. Married with a two-year-old son, Bray climbed on stage amid the chaos 
and tried to give Dimebag CPR. He also tried to resuscitate Thompson before Gale turned the gun on Bray and shot him in the chest. Daryl Abbott's funeral service took place at the Arlington Convention Centre. Several thousand fans and friends gathered on Tuesday the 14th of December 2004. The inside of the convention centre was filled with flowers and oversized magazine covers featuring Downbag Darrell doing what he loved. According to the Dallas Morning News, among the musicians on hand to pay tribute were guitarists Zach Wilde and Eddie Van Halen. I'm here for the same reason as everyone else, to give some love back, said Van Halen, who along with Wilde reportedly downed shots as he spoke. Van Halen then proceeded to play a voicemail which had been left for him by Dimebag Daryl. I just wanted to give you a fucking call to tell you thank you so fucking much, man, for the most awesome uplifting, euphoric, spiritual, rock and roll extravaganza ever. Dimebag had left this message after touring with Van Halen. A whole part of my life is gone, said Wilde, red-eyed and visibly upset. Former Alice in Chains guitarist Jerry Cantrell was among the performers at the event, which also featured tributes from Dimebag's ex-Pantera bandmate, Rex Brown, and the guitarist's brother, Damage Plan and Pantera drummer, Vinnie Paul. Vinnie Paul took to the stage, patted a cardboard cutout of his brother holding a guitar and encouraged the fans to yell, Dime Bag, according to the Associated Press report. He also told the crowd that Dime Bag gave it his all during every show and went down doing what he loved. Former Pantera vocalist Phil Anselmo, who had publicly feuded with Dimebag for the few years prior to his death and unfortunately featured on the cover of the latest issue of Metal Hammer the week prior to the massacre, saying that Daryl should be severely beaten. The interview had been conducted before the guitarist's murder, but as a result, he was apparently barred from the service by the family and he expressed his condolences in a statement. In a video recorded later, the singer would go on and blame the metal media for the breakup. Dimebag Darrell had a private funeral, and he was buried in the Moore Memorial Garden Cemetery in Arlington, along with one of Eddie Van Halen's guitars. He was buried in a custom Kiss-themed casket the original prototype for the band's official Kiss Casket line. The aftermath of the massacre had left a negative reaction on all of those involved. Despite being a hero, this didn't save Officer Negermeyer from suffering the effects of being at the centre of the death and chaos that continued after. He remained on patrol for three years, but the city eventually decided, with the advice of doctors, that he shouldn't be a first responder and he was transferred to the robbery section as a detective. I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and severe anxiety disorder, Negermeyer said. To him, it wasn't enough to know 
that the shooting was clearly justified and probably saved lives. I found out real quickly that you don't have any control over your brain, he said. It's going to do what it's going to do. Ten years later, at the age of 41, I'm still in counselling. So that is the end of this additional episode. Please remember, if you enjoy the show or want to know more, please follow us on Twitter at TrueCrimeFixPod. That's at TrueCrimeFixPod on Twitter. Or look out for our Facebook page, True Crime Fix Podcast. That's True Crime Fix Podcast on Facebook. I'll be posting information about the week's case on there. Also, if you have any suggestions for cases or feedback for the show, please contact me at True Crime Fix Podcast. That's True Crime Fix Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time. Stay safe, look after each other and live life to the fullest because you never know who or what might be coming round the next corner. Take care everyone.